When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, what's up? This is Sully from Godsmack. Strap on those boots, baby, because you are now in the trenches of the war room with the one and only Mistress Carrie right here on the Mistress Carrie podcast. What's up? This is Joe Rogan, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. I have so lovely pretty eyes. Hey, this is Brent from Shinedown, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hey, Carrie, go put your brow on, girl. Hey, this is Steven Tyler, and you'll be listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. What's up? This is Aaron from Stan. And you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters, and you're listening to the one, the only, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is David from the band Disturbed, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. Hi, Bruce Dickinson here from Iron Maiden. Yes, indeed. Miss Whiplash herself, Mrs. Carrie, is here to um, unchain your brain. Hi, this is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. You're listening to Mistress Carrie. This is Dennis Leary. You are listening to my favorite, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is Corey from Stone Sour, and you're listening to. You have the privilege of listening to Mr. Scary. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Hey, it's Mistress Carrie, reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode 147 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. And before we get to this week's guest, Billy Valu, I want to let you know that there are now Mistress Carrie guitar picks available in the shop at mistresscarry.com. Whether you're a guitar player or you just like to collect guitar picks, you can get a 10-pack in the shop. Just go to mistresscarry.com. You'll also find the 7-in-1 bartender tool, the concert-approved clear plastic waste bag. You'll find T-shirts, tank tops, hoodies, beanies, coffee mugs, pint glasses, and so much more. Just head to mistresscarry.com. Billy Valu is a goth rock pioneer, formerly the lead singer of the band Him. Well, he's branched out with his debut album, Neon Noir, from his new solo project, Vivi. The album was released on January 13th, and he's now out on the road, including a stop in Boston at Big Night Live coming up on April 2nd. Billy had taken a few days off and was at home, so we sat down to talk about his musical influences, his love of touring, his songwriting process, his home country of Finland, why he despises his birthday so much, and his idea of the perfect song. We also talked about gardening, the beauty of people's imperfections, and so much more. It was great getting to know Billy, and I can't wait to meet him at Big Night Live in Boston coming up April 2nd. So, allow me to introduce you to Vili Valu from Vivi. Vili! What's going on? It's nice to finally meet you. How are you? Um, I'm, uh, I'm good. I'm happy. A tad exhausted, to be honest with you. We just finished the uh, European leg of uh, the first tour. And, uh, of, course, of course, I got myself a bit of a flu at the end of it, you know. Like us rock and rollers do. Yeah. You cannot be ill when on tour. So always when you fly back, that's when you, like school teachers, you know, it's like end of the semester. And that's always when you, when you're under the weather. So 
I'm not complaining whatsoever, but these are only the uh, these are the uh, few days to recharge my batteries and get ready for the um, to fly over to Philadelphia. So well, the, I start the uh, tour. The first thing I usually ask people uh, because bands travel so much is is do they know where they are and where are they? And my assumption is that you're home. Yeah, I'm at home at this very moment in time. You know, I'm just. Um, yeah, I'm just hanging. This is uh, I've got my parents who still live in Helsinki, Finland, as well, only a few miles down from uh, my place, and uh, I like to keep it keep close to the family. So, yeah, I I still live where I grew up too. It's nice. Yeah, there's yeah. I'd like actually to be honest with you, this is not the area in the city where I grew up. So I'd like to be even closer, you know, because it's fairly rare when you actually know all the little tiny. You've seen the trees grow. You know, like, you know, where the roots are. You know, when you, you know, I love, you know, biking. So, you know, the little tiny detours and your own little, you know, roots here and there. And, and uh, yeah, it's, it's quite special. A lot of people don't have it. So that's sort of like sense of uh, belonging. Or a lot of people don't haven't had the chance to grow up in the same place. So they've been moving around or so forth. So it might, that might be different and, and a cool in a different way. But, uh I'm a I'm a romantic sucker, so uh, I always uh, I and I'm big on nostalgia, so that's what I think. I think you and I have that in common, and it's when you say the word home, I think it it means different things to different people, and I think you and I living where we grew up, that there is mm. that sense of family history, and that literally on every street corner there's a memory of something from your childhood, and there's something comforting with that. A sense of ease. Yeah. And sense of belonging. So, so yeah, yeah, it is, it is, it is special. Home is special. It's always been special, especially being in a touring rock band. You know, when you uh, get, well, a get to travel a lot, but you you end up being long, long periods uh, uh, away from your home. Um, you 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 get the different vantage point and start to appreciate it even more. You know, the absence makes a heart grow fonder, as they say. Well, April second, you can call Boston home for a day. And we will welcome you with open arms. Thank you so much in advance. We've always had a blast, you know, with with my previous, you know, ensemble pin. You know, we had a blast whenever in Boston. So, but usually, a lot of times on tours, um, there's no time to really get to see anything. So basically, you're on the at the mercy of the local promoter. If there's a, like a runner or a cool uh, local person that takes you out for a wee bit or tells you stories about the city, and a lot of times you get to know cities by the persons. So not so much about the, you know, let's say the architecture or the places to go to, the touristy things, but more, more through, through um, the stories of local people, which is quite cool. It's like you, you get to see the, uh, yeah, you get to see a site that uh, a lot of, a lot of people never do. Well, I haven't the, uh, met you before, and you're not going to be in town long enough. But I will make the offer that the next time you're in town, if you can schedule a day off, I will give you sure. the Mistress Carrie tour of Boston. My brain is filled with useful, useless information about my hometown that, town that I am more than willing to share with you. Thank you so very much. Yeah, <laughs> we all need to have our brains defragmented on an occasion. So uh, I, I know that feeling. I know that feeling. And, and you, you, useless information can be quite useful at times as well. So, <laughs> well, I think when you, I think when someone that cares about the place that that calls that place home. Mm-hmm. Traveling, and I, you know, I say it all the time on the show that that rock bands are some of the most well-traveled people on the planet because you are always someplace else. 
But getting a tour from someone that grew up where you are, you learn all the places that the tourists never learn. The yeah. good places that make a place special. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, it's, it's very true. And then, then again, being, uh, being a recording artist as well, there's uh, so many cool places to record. And like we're recording in the countryside of Wales in a place called Rockfield Studios where um, uh, the Queen did Bohemian Rhapsody, at least some of it. And place with a lot of history and creative history. And then those places, a lot of times, they're in the middle of nowhere. There's just a little village somewhere, you know, maybe with a pub. And that's about it. And uh, we uh, tracked a, an arm in Silver Lake. We rented a mansion there in, in the early noughties. And uh, there's a lot of cool experiences through that because you, then you also get to see a place from a very different perspective than, than, uh, than being just a tourist or even a touring band. So, um, so yeah, I, I still do love traveling, you know, and it's, and it's after the pandemic and all that, you know, it's nice to be able to finally be free for a wee bit. We were all like, you know, chained to our own little cages for, for quite some time. So you never realized feels- how much you wanted to, to travel and, and more importantly for us and the rock community at large, how much we desperately missed going to live shows. And how desperately us musicians missed um, shaking our butts on, on stage, you know. <laughs> so, uh, um, you know, I was never, early on, I was never a huge fan of touring. I always felt that it's uh, it's very tiring. And uh, and that was when I was a bit younger. And, I, and I've learned to appreciate touring. And I was very, uh, and I still can be a very nervous person before gigs. And I always get the butterflies. And, you know, it's, uh, um, but uh, I've, I've learned how to deal with all that and enjoy the moment. Even knowing that the room is filled with people that are there to see you, that love you, you still get nervous. Sure, I think you have to. I think it's a, it's a, it's a completely, hmm, it's a necessary thing to go through. I, I think if if you if you're not feeling anything, that means you don't care. And usually, if you don't feel anything, it means also that either you're sick, or then uh, then the gig will just be terrible. It's a uh, I always get nervous. I, I know a few artists that are, there was one guy who was, he passed away recently, but uh, he he still kept on touring until the very end of his life, 70 something. And he always puked before each and every gig. And he was a very, very pro, but it always got to his nerves, the uh, performing, and he performed thousands of times. So, um, so it's, uh, I think it's about, it's about caring. You really care for it and it matters to you. And then you want to be good and you're, you know, there's no routine when it comes to that. That's the that's the magic of uh, of uh, of music in general. You talk about recording studios with a history. There are a lot mm. of very historical venues around the world. What do you think it is about a place that kind of gives it that that energy and and that vibe that it has a memory of what's come before? What what do you think that is? Something soaked well, into the wood. Well, when I was younger, I thought it. I thought it's the architecture, but these days I do know it's the people. It's just, uh, you know, it's just um, some. In some places, people find it comfortable to witness music, and because they uh, congregate in those places, that means that all the bands play there too. Which means that there's a lot of energy going back and forth between the audience and the and the and the artists. And then, exactly what you said, you know, it could be that. It, some of the the remnants of that energy get soaked 
into the architecture somehow. I'm not quite sure, you know, thinking of, you know, there's a, uh, there's a lot of legendary poop, poop holes, so to speak, you know, places that are not fancy at all, and they don't even feel that special before the audience gets in. So it is a matter of, of I think, always the audience. Well, you audience talked per- about the recording studios, too, and the, there's no audience there, but, but bands go to those historic studios because there is something maybe left behind from the artists that have come before. Well, all of them. Then again, we could speculate that it's, it's that the artists before went there because they're great studios. They sound great. You can get, get great recordings. The better a room sounds, the better you perform, and the better your song sounds. And then it hopefully it will translate better to the audience. And and then it's another story when you're on tour, when you're uh, sort of reliving the emotion of the song each and every night. You know, it's a that, that's a different cup of tea I consider. Um, but. Uh, yeah, yeah, that, that's interesting. Of course, you you book a studio because of its legacy. Same, same with hotels at times. You know, there's a Chateau Marmont for a reason. You know, so and you pay the extra to get there if if that's your you know if that's your thing. But uh, but yeah, we're funny creatures, aren't we? It is interesting, and and you and I are both you know sitting in studios of our own design which also kind of gives you this different level of comfort because everything is the way that you want it. So rather than working in a studio, someone else designed that's decorated away, you know, for me, radio studios, for you, recording studios, to be in your own environment, uh, surrounded by your own kind of quirky things can be comforting too. Well, yeah, it is indeed. And the sort of like makeshift nature of it all, I think, brings the little kid out. And I think that's in, in, important when, when working in the realm of creative arts, you know, because you so easily one starts to think about the stuff that doesn't really matter. You know, the, is it the left hemisphere takes over and you start thinking about bills and timings and schedules and what makes sense, what doesn't. And, and uh, at the end of the day, we all know that in the land of the creative sort of work uh it doesn't have to make any sense it shouldn't make any sense a lot of times it should be it should be just free-flowing thing and and the professional in you should be professional enough to catch those right moments in time that's about it to be able to document when 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 the proper stuff goes on i've never been fortunate enough to travel to finland but there's Mm -hmm. so much great music that has come out of there over the years what do you think it is about your home country that that inspires so much, especially rock and metal? Well, it's the whole of Scandinavia is, is pretty similar vibe-wise. Well, Finland is not officially part of Scandinavia. It's it's Sweden, Norway, and Denmark. But uh, um, but um, I was always laughing whether it's about the cold and, and very dark winters, you know, whether we need to bang our heads to keep ourselves warm. Well, that may, might be one of the reasons, that, because that's my excuse why they burned all the churches in Norway. You know, they were cold. <laughs> as simple as that. But uh, uh, no religious, you know, backstories or anything more anti-religious behind it all. They were just plain cold. But uh, um, well, it's tough to say. I think Scandinavians are, are quite, they take themselves quite seriously. They're kind of solitary wolves. They like their art quite melancholy and quite dark. Why? I don't know, because there are places like Portugal, for example, whose um, 
traditional music follow is very, very melancholy as well. Some of the traditional music in Italy is very melancholy. It's very heartfelt and very sentimental, emotional. So, um, Oh, the blues in America. It's the same kind of thing, right? Yeah, and then at the end of the day, who are we, uh, if not the children of, uh, or like the bastard children of uh, African drumming and uh, Wagnerian classical music, you know, at the end of the day. So, so it's a, it's a music has always been a big melting pot anyway. There's no cultural appropriation when it comes to music because it's always been like that. It's uh, the musicians and, and artists in general should be influenced by everything. You know, we're just trying to one way or the other to uh, get the, the things that are impossible to say in, uh, say in words, you know, get that out musically and, and uh, try to communicate through all that stuff. And it doesn't matter. The tools don't matter. And, uh, you know, the, there's... Emotions, I think, are pretty much the same from culture to culture. We all feel sadness and we feel happiness and we feel a sense of longing. And uh, and uh, the words might differ a tad or the genre of music might uh, differ a tad, but, uh, but uh, we're still human beings, you know. I am not fortunate enough to have musical ability myself nor the gift of being able to express myself through song, but I'm fortunate enough that my job allows me to be surrounded by people that are creatively gifted that way. And so I always love asking the question of, especially for an artist like you that has had so many different projects, how do you start the songwriting process and make the decision of, okay, this is a song that I'm going to keep for VV. This is a song I'm going to use with a collaboration with another artist how does the creative process start for you? Mm, so uh, I call it humming and strumming. Pick up a guitar and start humming. And, and uh, uh, to go back a tad, you know, I think the the I think that us musicians we kind of uh, consider us ourselves a lot of times to be sort of musically challenged in a way that uh, that we don't know how to communicate normally. So we have we've had to learn a way to communicate which includes music. So that's not necessarily a gift. It can be a burden as well. When you and don't it can, have it, believe me, you want well, it, it and you think hindrance. it's a gift. No, but it, could be, it could be a hindrance as well, you know. So, so at times when it's tough to communicate verbally, um, at least myself, you know, when I, when I have a tough time to communicate verbally what I mean or what I feel, um, then it's usually easier for me to pick up the guitar and, uh, or a synth or, or, you know, tinkle on the ivories or whatever. But um, regarding the projects and all, I'm very, I'm very monogamous when it comes to projects, and I like to work on a, one one single thing at a time. And uh, I've done a fair bit of uh, little collaborations and uh, and and have been singing on a few artists' albums along the way. But uh, but it's always happened by some lucky accident. They've been friends, or we've been on tour somewhere. We met or became friends and and uh, it's always been very organic uh not so that we would have sat down and thought that you know in january i'm going to do this and in february i'm going to do that it's never been as um professional so to speak it's it's always been very you know i've always been winging it more or less but when it comes to my own stuff i'm i'm very um I've, i usually like to keep it very close to myself you know i'm not a huge 
proponent of co-writing, for example, which is something that a lot of people do, especially these days. Um, um, it's For me, it's incredibly complicated when you have a feeling that you can express throughout through music, but not necessarily lyrically, and uh, to give that away or taint that uh, the purity of that emotion with somebody else's emotion. Um, now, now we get into sort of like difficult territory because maybe the word taint shouldn't be used there. It can be a beautiful amalgamation of two different, you know, uh, souls coming together. How, however, you want to put it. But, but a lot of times, I'm very, I'm very. Um, so like um yeah I, w- I like to keep my own ideas co- close to myself but they feel they feel very personal so it's hard for me to, to just throw them away or give them to anybody else's perusal you know what do you think of this idea you know i need to finish a song a lot of times and get it ready and a song isn't finished at at the writing stage it's it's finished when it's produced and recorded and done with and usually not even then but it's the song never gets finished it, it, it it keeps on living each and every night you perform the song as well because the audience gives it a new they give it a new meaning they can you know they can do that or that to a song very easily and that's what they do and that's uh, you know what they should do so so i'm just you know yeah it's a, it's a complicated journey on on various levels but uh but um but yeah I, I, it's also i think it can be also about um uh have something to do with my age. So if, if think realistically, you know, dogs' years are like, isn't it? Like one dog year is about seven human years. And I've always th- thought that the rock and roll's years are about three or four because it's the album cycle. So I think in terms of album cycles, I don't have t- too many in me, uh, even if I'm lucky. So I have to, I have to be sure that all my songs count and that they are important to me, and uh, I don't do throwaways. You know. I always ask this question because I can't imagine this process for myself, but especially bringing in, you talk about an, an outside voice, you bring in a producer, you, you bring right. in at, at some point management, the record label, and then at the end, the, the, the audience themselves for them to be able to do this or this. Yeah. I can't imagine creating a song that I have filled with my feelings and thoughts and emotions and then you believe, okay, this is as complete as it can be. And mm-hmm. you hand it over and then they don't like it. Like, I don't know how I would recover from that kind of hell on earth. Well, that's the reason for the butterflies. So that's a, that's a full cycle here. Okay. So, so you, you can never tell. It's not about, you know, you have, of course you have to believe in yourself when you do the music. And, and working on music is quite um, private. It can be quite intimate because it's it's you and the music. If you're not working with a big team or a big band or or a lot, a lot of producers hanging about or whatever, so at least on, on the on the neo noir the, the new album because I worked on the whole stuff by myself and only by myself, so it, it became really was my thing. And it was of course it was tough to let it go. And uh, but what I've learned along the way is that as as I know myself as a music listener is that. It's about the alignment of the stars, how a song works, and and uh, if it comes out at the right time, and where people's heads are at. It's like you know, it's like fashion. It's like flared trousers, you know, bell bottoms. You know, they're the coolest thing on earth. That one time each every <laughs> years. You know what I mean? It's like songs and musical styles and all that. 
it goes around in cycles as well. And and uh, you're hopefully you're hoping that you're you're there to ride the wave. And then there are those people who are ahead of their time, you know. Uh, and, and purple then, uh, hair has been cool and uncool like six times since I dyed it. And I'm just, you just do yeah. it. And if it's cool, great. And if it's not, so be it. Yeah, but you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, so, so it is a constant struggle, whether it's hair or music. <laughs> and for somebody like you, I think there's a big difference, correct me if I'm wrong, to starting out as a new artist, right? That you're trying to show people who you are. But for someone like you launching a new project, you are going to get compared to the art you've made previously and the projects that you've been part of previously. And you can't kind of avoid that comparison. But how has that experience been releasing Neon Noir now is, 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 charting this new territory has it has it been what you expected from the fans um it's been way more um i've been astounded in a very positive way about the uh, regarding the reaction especially on tour because you can never tell in advance you can never tell take stuff for granted especially in the realm of music because you know uh you know the cool new hair colors come and go and so do sounds so uh, um, I was very pleasantly surprised, especially that the audiences weren't only, it wasn't only uh, older hymn fans or, you know, people in my age bracket or whatever, but there was a lot of young people there who never got the chance to see him and never, never got the chance to hear those songs. And, uh, and I'm playing with the, with the new band, I'm playing a ton of hymn songs as well. So it's, it's like a 50-50 and I think it's only fair. Plus, I do think that this is a transitional moment um between him and where i might go next you know it's a it's a i think it's a reminder to myself as well uh where i come from um as a singer and a songwriter and and uh as a fella and then then uh you know it's like uh, neo noir the album isn't that far from the stuff him released and uh that's partly because i wrote all the hymn songs besides wicked game which we covered back in the day quite a few times. The the original by Chris Isaac. Still an amazing so, uh, song. And it and it, it proves it, what a good song it is that it can be covered it's, and it's yeah, wonderful that, in yeah, its own that's, way. That's, you're absolutely right. That's that's a good example of it, it's a yeah, it's 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 a classic timeless it, it's 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 a perfect song. It's uh, and I'm such a I'm so glad that we uh we covered it back in the day. It's for because it's glad to be a part of that song somehow. And, and also being able to sort of translate that song maybe to listeners who didn't appreciate the originals, you know, sound or, or feel or so forth. But it has many more things to do with it as well, how, why it's so important to me. It's the, it's the it's his connection with the David Lynch through Wild at Heart, the movie, and with Nicolas Cage, of course. But... Uh, but uh, also the the era of Twin Peaks and all that. I grew up then, and I love my music and my movies to be a bit left of center and a bit cookie and weird and unexpected. And I sort of, yeah, not unlike Elvis Presley, sort of like, you know, just weird and wonderful. <laughs> well, it's funny that you worded it as the perfect song because it's a question I ask every songwriter on the show, that it's not about but- favorite but as a right. songwriter, from your perspective, I always ask, can you give me an example of a song you covet? 
that you think is a perfect example of songwriting at its essence, that someone else of any genre of music, would that be your answer? Or is there a song that fits that description better? Yeah, well, I think it does indeed. And especially you could you could ask a question that can a song be better than Wicked Game? Or could Wicked Game be a better song? Is there something you could do to it to make it better? And I, I don't think you can. So it is perfect because what we're trying to look for as, as musicians also, we're trying to look for the sort of perfect imperfections. The beauty marks. That's that's what makes it special. You know, it's everything super generic and everything's just the top, you know, run of the mill, top 40, whatever. Um, you know, when, that's, the, that's the McDonald's. That's the stuff we're not going to remember. After, this is a after hard a- lesson for girls, though, for, for a guy to say, no, it's the imperfections that make you special because most of the well, time people want to get rid of their imperfections. We all know that from art. We all know that from Mona Lisa. So we know know that that's the stuff that makes us stand out as people. You know, I'm talking about it can be physical beauty, but it's it's also you know it's 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 the it's the beautiful imperfections of, of of people's mental and spiritual sides as well. And you know, that's usually the stuff you remember, not the stuff that is because I don't think there is a. I think a, a, a traditional perfection would be considered bland really easily because just too good you know it's not it's not interesting anymore and i think that you know, i think that you know in life you're, you're trying to look for things that are interesting bit bit out of the ordinary and and uh you know is there anything that you do outside of music that especially oh. during the lockdown when you're looking for something else some some kind of very strange or strange because it's so normal hobby that you discovered to pass the time because touring just wasn't an option anymore did you pick up gardening or jigsaw puzzles like a lot of other artists did um i used to do gardening back in the day i'm not really good at it but i like to put my hands on in the ground you know it's it's nice to do physical work and and all that stuff but i wouldn't call it a hobby per se if i have a hobby it's, it's bathing <laughs> That's something I've done since I've been, I've been a kid. You know, my mom loved to bathe. You know, take a bath and and uh, and uh, I've been bathing since I was a kid. That's where I read all my books. That's where I usually get most of my ideas, and that's very important to me. I, I guess there's something close to the the feeling of being uh, in the womb. You know, the sort of like warmth of it all. I guess that's why there I must like be... a, a weighted blanket for the same reason when I sleep. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, there's a security, and then there's also sense of uh, in, a, in a bathtub you're sort of removed from the technical aspect sure you can have your cell phone in your hand or whatever but you can't really pay your bills and <laughs> do that stuff you know it's a that's that's the sort of at least to me that's the quiet time to read a book and and even if the if the bath would be a 20 minute one it's still you know it's a it's a sort of no man's land like uh airplanes used to be back in the day before wi-fi hit right so I, I love flying, and I remember my one of my favorite pastimes back in the day was to fly on my birthday from LAX to Helsinki, because then I'd lose my birthday because of the time difference. So I, I love it that I go business class and sleep, and then when I wake up, my birthday's over. I I don't have to have anybody mentioning it to me or anything <laughs> like that. I just loved it, and uh, yeah, that was the time before uh, you were able to call anybody or or. Uh, or do your Wi-Fi internet thingies. Well, I really hope there's a bathtub waiting for you in Boston. 
Likewise. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show. It was so nice to get to know you. And Thank you. uh, you'll, you'll be at Big Night Live coming up on Sunday. So thank you so and much. Hope, and hope to see you there. I will you know, be please. there. Yeah. Cool. Come on, knocking on the dressing room door and, and uh, say hi. I'll you know, warn be you great. before I walk in to make sure you have pants on. Fair enough. <laughs> pants on, pants off. You're welcome. You know, it's all good. <laughs> thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. Likewise. Take Bye. it easy. There he is, Billy Valu from VV. The new album, Neon Noir, is available everywhere. And you can see VV out on the road, including a stop in Boston at Big Night Live on April 2nd. If you check the show notes of this episode, there'll be a link for you to get tickets. And you can also check out the music on this episode's custom playlist. I make a playlist for every full-length episode of the Mistress Carrie podcast that features my guest music and all the other songs and artists that we referenced in the interview. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe to the Mistress Carrie podcast. New full-length episodes come out every Wednesday. Plus, you get the sit rep. The Situation Report runs down all of your rock news, music headlines, and industry info in about five minutes every weekday. Plus, you never know when we're going to release a bonus episode. The Mistress Carrie podcast is available wherever you listen to podcasts, including now on YouTube. You can get more details on the podcast at mistresscarrie.com. That's also where you'll find my concert calendar, my blog, my photo gallery, and the official online Mistress Carrie store. You'll also find every episode of my video show, Cocktails in the War Room, and you can watch it live every Tuesday night at 8.30 Eastern on my official Facebook page. The Mistress Carrie Podcast, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.